you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We, we already looked at this passage uh, during this series. Uh, we, by the way, are still continuing our series our, uh, on beholding the glory of God. And, and the truth that we've been chasing after, the truth that we've been uh, driving this whole, ser- this whole sermon series by is the fact that, that God isn't uh, just the, the creator. He's not just the judge, but he is glorious. God is awesome. God is great. God is the highest treasure. He is the most valuable being or thing in existence. He, he did bring everything else into existence, actually, to display his glory. And so we've been following that saying, well, if God is so glorious and he's given us his word, let's see the ways that he has shown us his glory, that we might worship him. Because the Bible does all the time, you know, command us to worship God, to rejoice in the Lord, to trust him. And so we're, we're saying, is he worth rejoicing in? Is he worth uh, worshiping and trusting And then how does that change our lives if he is so glorious? How does it transform us into the image of Christ as we see his glory? This week, you know, it's Father's Day Sunday. And I I had a conversation with a friend last week. He'd actually mentioned to me uh, the fact that, hey, maybe on Father's Day you could talk about the fatherhood of God. You know, like that could be one of the behold attributes that you talk about. He doesn't go to church here, uh, just, a, just a friend in town. And, he, and I, I was like, oh, you want me to talk about that? He's like, yeah, because I struggle with it. He said, he's like, I struggle with lots of things, you know. <laughs> but uh, he said, one thing I really struggle with is, is the fatherhood of God. And so we, we literally scheduled a phone call this week uh, that I could talk to him and say, what is it that you struggle with with the fatherhood of God? And here's basically what he said. I, I, um, I'll do my best to uh, represent what he said. He explained to me that he struggles with the fatherhood of God because his earthly father wasn't all that great. And when I heard that, I said, okay, now I know where we're going with this. Because I've heard this over and over and over again. Him specifically, again, I'm doing my best to i tell you what, what he said. He said, no matter what he did, he couldn't gain the acceptance of his father. He's a, a perfectionist, and it's not surprising. If you can never gain the acceptance of your father, you're always trying so hard to do everything just right, so maybe this next thing will please my father, and if I fail, he will know about it, and he will tell me about it. He can't gain the acceptance. He said, I, I, I said, did you struggle gaining acceptance of, of, of your father? He said, he never gave it to me. He told me his father wasn't really involved even though he was around. Again, that's a, that's a common story. Say, well, of course I'm involved in my children's lives. I'm there all the time. Are you involved or are you just there? That, that's what he told me. His father was around but not involved in his life. There, there was no activity, no communion no relationship then he told me that his father was rather cold towards him and his siblings he was a burden rather than a blessing but at least by the way he perceives things um you know 
You're my biological child, but I don't really want you around. You're my biological child, so I, I have to take care of you. That's, that's how he felt with his father. And so here, here was his logic. So that's, that's his background. Here, here's the logic. And he knows this logic is wrong, by the way, and he's, he's working on it. Um, here's the lie that so many of us believe. My earthly father was like this, so my heavenly father must be that way too. I could never gain acceptance with my father. I could never please my earthly father, so God the father must never accept me or be pleased with me. God the father is, is always around, but is he really involved? You know, my father was around, but he wasn't really involved, my friend says. And then what about this one? God may love me with, you know, just a, a sterile sort of love, but does he actually like me? Does he actually have affection for me? Is, is, is him having me even in heaven one day, is that duty? This is so important. Because I, I told you just a moment ago, my, my friend uh, became a perfectionist. I mean, he said, he really struggles with these things. He said, I'm very, very, very hard on myself. And uh, he's not blaming his father, but he says, I think a lot of that comes back from uh, my, my father being very, very hard on me and everything having to be just right. So if I make the slightest mistake, I'm very hard on myself. And it, it was interesting because I, I, this verse popped right into my head. Uh, Romans 8, 14 to 16. You can turn there if you like, but we're, we're really studying Ephesians. But I just want to give you this from Romans 8, 14 to 16. It says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so, within Romans 8, that, that little text, you see that being a child of God shouldn't lead us to fear. It shouldn't lead us to anxiety, to, to feeling depressed that we're not pleasing God. Rather, it should lead us to a spirit of adoption as sons. And we can cry, Abba, Father. That Abba, by the way, is, is like Daddy. Calling God the Father, our Heavenly Father, Daddy. And yet, that's how the Bible talks about it. That that should spring up from our, from our hearts. This, Daddy, I, I need you. Daddy, I'm so glad to have you. Daddy, thank you for loving me. So, so work with me here. This, this, my friend, struggles with this, this theology that God is his Father because that is actually distasteful to him. But what I want to show you today is that God as our heavenly father should be comforting, not distressing. It should overwhelm us with joy, not anxiety. And God's love for us as a father should launch us into productive lives of freedom, not bondage to earning God's acceptance as slaves. That's what I want to show you today. And so here, here's kind of a basic truth that we need to understand 
Because he said, okay, my father was like this, therefore God the Father must be like this. That's, that's backwards, okay? This is what we need to understand. God displays true fatherhood and is the measure to which all fathers should aspire. God is the starting point of what a father is and a father should be. He is God the Father. You can think of it that way. He is the Father. And all of us earthly fathers, all of your earthly fathers, are mere reflections. And so that's kind of what I have in my notes. God is the reality. Earthly fathers are the imperfect reflection. God is the true image. And earthly fathers are to be imitators. And so what we don't do is we don't take the imitation, we don't take the reflection and say, well, then God must be like that. No, because these are imperfect, these are flawed representations of God. So we we shouldn't transpose our thoughts about the lesser and put it on the greater from the imperfect and put it on the perfect. You think about this in other areas, by the way. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives as... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so in the marriage, the husband is to love his wife in the same way as Christ loved the church. But it wouldn't make any sense, right, for a wife to say, well, my husband doesn't love me very well. My husband doesn't sacrifice for me very well. My husband doesn't really care for me, so Jesus must not either. You say, well, that's crazy logic. Your husband isn't Jesus. That is crazy logic. And I would tell you the same is true with fatherhood. We don't take the imperfect and say, therefore, the perfect must be this way. God is the reality, and we, earthly fathers, are the imperfect reflection. And so that leaves us with uh, some questions. If God is the true father, if God is the reality and the image, then what is his fatherhood like? And how does his fatherhood display God's glorious love? Because that's the attribute we're looking at today, is God's glorious love. And what I want to show you today is that it is a fatherly love. But not the way our fathers loved us. They may have done great, they were still imperfect. But the way our heavenly father loves us, he defines what true fatherly love is. And I'm telling you today, it will blow your minds. It will blow your minds to see the love of God for you. I'm about to read this passage for you. That if you really give it thought, if you really meditate on it, if you really let it hit your heart, it it will change everything for you. It will take the bondage to, to works, the bondage to earning, the bondage to guilt and shame before God. It will throw it away and it will put in its place the freedom, the joy of sonship. The freedom of being God's child. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. Let's pray for a moment and ask God to help us understand this love Father God, it is a wondrous privilege beyond measure that I get to call you Father God. Lord, many of us may have misunderstandings about you and how you treat us as a father should should treat a child. God, many of us have a low view of your love. The love that is in you, because the Bible tells us that you are love, God is love. But also the love that you have poured upon us. In love, you predestined us for adoption to yourself. God, would you transform us? Would you change our lives as we see the glory of your fatherly love? And oh God, would you make us people who love you more and love others more because of it? God, may your word be salve to our hearts to heal any wounds we have. May it be uh, an encouraging hand to move us forward to where you want us to be, God. I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave himself up for us. Amen. So what does the love of the Father look like? What, what is the true image, the reality by which we should judge all other loves and even all other fathers. But today we want to just be encouraged by how great God's fatherly love is. I'll give you my point first and and, um, speak about it. The father loves willingly. When I put the father there, I'm talking about God. God the father loves willingly. What I mean by that is 
His love is, is freely given rather than coerced. God's love is not a debt that he is paying. Rather, it is a gracious gift that he is giving. God freely and willingly chooses to place his love upon undeserving sinners and willingly makes them his sons. See, the the reason this is important is many people, I I felt this way myself, feel that even though they are saved, God may not actually love them. You know, God set up the hoops through which I have to jump to get into heaven. God God gave us this thing. We, we, we trust in Jesus and we get into heaven. And we wonder if one day we'll stand before the pearly gates, as it were, and God say, oh, you trusted in Jesus, did you? Okay, well, I guess I got to let you in. I mean, I truly have felt that way before, as though God doesn't actually want me in his family, but he has to let me in his family because I've become his child, because I've trusted in Jesus. Now, I'll tell you that that could be, I don't know, we could feel that way because maybe our heavenly father, or sorry, maybe our earthly father gave us the impression that that's how it is in our family. Well, you're my biological child, so I got to let you stay here. Or maybe even you're my adopted child. I signed the paperwork and so now I've, I've got to love you. I've got to deal with you. But let me show you what the Bible says about God's love for us. Verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will so there's there's a few things I i want to grab from from that passage god's love is willing god's love for you his fatherly love is willing first we see that god specifically and individually chose you if you've trusted in jesus if you've uh taken his his righteous life and given him your sin and believed on on him then we know from god's word that god specifically and individually chose you before the foundation of the world i mean that that's good news that's good news because it means god won't at the pearly gates say oh you made it No, he chose you. Welcome in. I chose you. I'm so glad you made it. This is what we have here. He specifically and individually chose you. And by the way, is this choosing based on us, based on our merit, our performance, our goodness, our love for God? No, this is before the foundation of the world, before we've done anything good or bad, praiseworthy or punishment-worthy embarrassing or impressive god's choosing is based on the freedom of his will not anything in us i say that because if god were 
we're basing his choosing upon our performance, then you better keep it up. He's going to take it away. But that's not the way it works. He specifically and individually chose you. Second, we see God adopted you. I mean, this should just blow our minds. <laughs> in love, that's the end of verse 4. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. In love, he predestined us for adoption. This really is, by the way, you're predestined for this. This really is what happens at the moment of your salvation. The, 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 the adoption process, the paperwork has gone through. In that moment, you are his child when you trust in Christ Jesus. And he, God predestined you for adoption. He, he willingly chose you and predestined you not only to be in heaven holy and blameless before him in Christ Jesus, but adopted as his child. You didn't accidentally make it into God's family. He set the stage for you to be in his family. This is willing, fatherly love. Next, I see God adopted you as sons. This is strangely important. Say, what is this, sexist? Is God sexist? Does God think uh, boys are better than girls, males are better than females? No, absolutely not. Work with me here. God created male and female in his image. God would not make a lesser image bearer. Since, since both male and female are created in the image of God, that means both share equal dignity and value and worth. So why is it saying here, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons? Why not children, sons and daughters? Why sons? Why is that so important? Well, this is one of those times that knowing a culture really is helpful, okay? A son was the one, sons, that would carry on the family name, right? Daughters did not carry on the family name. What do daughters do? They get married and they take on a new name. So a son is one who is going to be a herald, uh, a continuer, uh, you know, of this family name. And that's what God's doing here. In addition to that, sons were recipients of the full inheritance. Okay? This is how they're law or customs, whatever you want to say, worked, is the sons would receive the inheritance from the father, the full inheritance. Daughters did not because they were expected to marry and come under that new husband's inheritance. They would actually become not only taking the name, but taking the inheritance of the other family. And so that's what we see here with God adopting you as sons rather than saying sons and daughters. Because, well, what if I'm considered a daughter? What if I'm considered one of those who won't carry on the family name, carry on uh, the family business even, by the way, but also that wouldn't receive full inheritance? What if I'm one of those children? That's what they would have been asking in that day because of their customs. A son and a daughter, while equal in value in that day, did not carry the same rank and responsibility within the family. And so this is incredible, friends. God willingly adopts you. He, he chooses you. He chooses to adopt you. And not only to adopt you, but to adopt you as a son. A carrier of the family name. 
and recipient of the full inheritance. We see there in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is, we are brothers of Christ, uh, if we're thinking this son's way, we are brothers of Christ receiving full inheritance alongside of Christ. That's a willing love. And all of that, by the way, is done in love. You see that again, the end of verse 4 and then verse 5, in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So friends, please do not ever think you somehow made it into God's family. You somehow made it into heaven, but he wants to push you into a corner. He chose you. He adopted you. He adopted you with full rights and responsibilities and honor. And he did all of that in love. That is the willing love of God the Father. Now, I mentioned uh, earlier that my, my friend that I talked to said my father was around, but he wasn't involved in my life. It didn't seem like he wanted to be involved. He didn't uh, really show his love. He may have said the words, I don't know. He may have said the words, I love you, but he didn't ever show it by, by action. And so that makes me wonder, what about God? Is God just a, uh, a speaker of sentiment? I love you. Good luck with life. No, this is number two, if you want to follow along. The Father loves actively. The Father loves willingly, and the Father loves actively. This isn't mere emotion. God actually does acts of love for your sake. Uh, Verses 7 through 10, it says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I'll just pause there. In him, we, these adopted ones, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What, what this tells us is the, the nature of the beloved, okay? The way God is actively loving, we, we see this. This was for People who needed forgiveness because of their trespasses, because of their sins. That's all of us, by the way. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We've all gone our own way. And God, in this act of love, looks to unlovely people. Then again in verse 7, it says, We have redemption through His blood. Through his blood. What is that talking about? The blood in Jesus' veins? No, that's talking about the blood on the cross. The blood that ran down his back. The blood that ran down his face. The blood that ran out of his wrists. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was the cost of this love. This is an active, sacrificial love. And I will tell you, the, 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 the blood on the cross was portraying much more than just the life running out of his body. It was portraying the wrath being poured out on Jesus. That is, my wrath that I deserve, your wrath that you deserve, the punishment for sins, the wages of sin, 
were poured out on Jesus, and his blood being shed is the, the symbol, it really happened, but the symbol for that payment for sin. His blood was shed for the covering of sins. And this is the cost of this active love, this God who in love sends his son to be the savior and pours out our wrath upon this substitution in Christ. And then this active gift. So, okay, I was unlovely, but he forgives me. Then what? What what was he trying to accomplish here? This active gift of love. It says here that this was all a plan for the fullness of time. This is verse 10. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. The gift of this active love is God himself. See, what God was doing as he actively loved uh, his children, those whom he chose and predestined for adoption, is he was removing every barrier between us and him. We had sins which make us unworthy and unable to approach God. It has put a chasm between us and God. And so God removes that chasm of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he draws us close with adoption. The gift, the gift of God's act of love is bringing us to himself. God is the most valuable, the most satisfying, the most glorious being in all the universe. And yet he takes rebels like you and like me. He pays the greatest price possible, the infinite punishment poured out on his son on the cross, all to bring us to himself, the greatest treasure. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's the the song we, we sung a moment ago, and this is what we see, the greatest act of love. By the way, this is the greatest act of love that has ever happened in all history. This is the greatest act of love that ever will happen in all history is God taking sinners, taking rebels, paying the greatest price for them to bring them to himself, the greatest treasure. This is the active love of God. He is not far off. He is not aloof. He is active. Romans 5, 8 said God's God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love. That's how he shows his love is, I loved you even when you were in your sin. You didn't earn it. You didn't clean yourself up. God demonstrates his love by sending Christ to pay for our sins even while we were sinners, even while we were rebels. This is the greatest act of love. Now, all of that, interestingly enough, if you view it from a certain standpoint, you could say, well, that still can be quite sterile, quite cold. Okay, God chose me. He signed the adoption papers. We talked about that. And then God does acts of love. Well, so did my father. You know, my, my father 
you know, he, he had me, so I was his child, or he adopted, maybe if you're adopted. And then, then he actively loved me, like, you know, he, he provided for me. He made sure we had food on the table and stuff like that. But again, I don't know if he actually likes me, if he actually wants me or actually wants to spend time with me. This is what I want to show you next. This is true of all of you if you are in Christ. The Father loves affectionately. The Father loves affectionately. This is not mere title, you're my son. This is not mere duty, I do what I have to do to keep you safe. This is a deeper, hear me, this is a deeper affection than we could ever imagine. A deeper affection than we have ever felt. God feels towards you constantly if you are in Christ. Uh, There's a handful of ways I could uh, show you this, but what I want to do right now is just uh, read for you uh, verse 5 and 6. Well, including that little last bit of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In the beloved. What's, who's that talking about? The beloved. Anyone yell it out? Christ is Jesus. The beloved is Jesus. God the Son And so there's an interesting dynamic going on in those verses. We see two things. We see in love, God predestines us as sons. And then we see God talking, or see him talking about God's love for the son. He is the beloved. And so I ask, is there any correlation? Is there any connection between the love God has for me and has for you and the love that he has for his son, his eternal son? And I would say there is an incredible connection here. I'm I'm not going to list it for you, but in this passage, verses 3 through 14, I think there were uh, like seven or eight times that it talks about in him, in him, in Christ Jesus, in the beloved. That's what we see here. All of these things are happening in Christ. What that means is we are in Christ. We are united to Christ by faith. And so, here's what I want to show you. Because we are in Christ by faith, united to Christ by by faith, the love which God has for God the Son, God the Father has for God the Son, is the very same love He has for you. I'm talking affection, intensity, the very same. This is unbelievable. Uh, We see this in John 17. Jesus is praying to the Father. This is the high priestly prayer, it's called. It's this extended prayer of Jesus to God the Father just before his crucifixion. Uh, Beginning in verse 22, Jesus says to his Father, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation 
of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Whatever you believe God feels for you, erase it. There is this eternal love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We talked about this, I think, the very first week we started actually looking at the attributes of God. God is existence. Within Him is fullness of joy. Within Him, within the Trinity, is fullness of love, fullness of of fellowship and satisfaction. They have perfect love for one another, perfect affection for one another, and enjoy one another's love and company. And what happens is God makes humans and then he invites us into the Trinity. I in them and you in me. He invites us into the joy of the triune God. I am not saying we become God or that we even become like God, yet rather we become experiencers of God. God now perfectly loves you. So you got the Trinity and just put yourself in there and that love is coming towards you. That affection is coming towards you. The very love with which which God feels for his son. We think about Matthew 3.17, the baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Again, in Matthew 17, so this is the same book of the Bible, Matthew 3 and now Matthew 17. This is the transfiguration of Christ where he reveals uh, more of his glory, a large measure of his, his hidden glory. It says in uh, Matthew 17, 5, Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That is the only two times, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I didn't actually research this, but I can't remember. That's the only two times that God speaks down over his Son. So Jesus is there, you have some big event, you have the baptism, you have the transfiguration, him revealing his glory. And both times God speaks down from heaven and says, that is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God could have said so many other things. God could have said so many other things. There's my son. And only listen to him. In fact, he adds that. In Matthew 7, there's my son, listen to him, you better watch out. No, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so, so think with me here. That is the same way God looks upon you. Not because you are so lovely. Not because everything you do is, is pleasing. But because you are in him. You say, well, that's a fake love. No, it is the most real love ever. You are really united to Christ. You are really covered with Christ. And God really loves you with the fullness of affection and intensity as he has for his son. What this means is God will never love you 
any more or any less. You can stop trying to earn God's love. Stop trying to impress him so maybe he'll be pleased with you. Maybe he'll approve of you. Maybe he'll like you and have affection for you. And you don't have to be devastated every time you fail, every time you mess up. We repent, we confess our sins, and we thank God that we are forgiven of our sins and that we are covered in Christ. You don't have to waste your emotional energy as a slave anymore because his love, his affection is already fully upon you. You cannot add to perfect love. You can't take away from it by the way God's done this. And that's actually my next point I want to show you. You can't add to it. In addition to that, the Father loves unendingly. The Father loves willingly. He loves actively. He loves affectionately. And he loves unendingly. I'll, I'll, I'll read this quickly and, and uh, we'll close. But I, I want you to know this. Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14, it says this. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So this is people who not only hear the gospel, but, but say, I need that. I need forgiveness. I need righteousness. I need to be in Christ heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God seals you. He marks you. He stamps you. Not with a stamp that will rub off, but with like, you know, heating up metal and then putting a stamp in it, and it... <laughs> Forms. This is a, a solid guarantee stamp. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is a permanent stamp that my love is upon this person. My blessing, my inheritance, my adoption is upon this person. And God's love for you will never end. It will never fail. But I would say there, there's some, some activity because we do, we prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, right? We, 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 we start to walk away from our Father. We say, well, how does God respond when I'm in sin? How does God respond when I forget about Him, when I reject Him? If I'm truly saved, how does He respond? If I'm truly His adopted child? Well, I think we have a few pictures in the Bible that help us. You think of the prodigal son, you have the prodigal father, I guess, that you are. Uh, the father in this story is, is to show the way God the Father loves us and the way he longs for us to return to him. I don't want to explain this too in depth, but there's this son in this parable who says, Father, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead yet, but I kind of wish you were so I could just have my inheritance and move on with my life and the Father gives it to him. Again, this is like God the Father, like we've done. We reject our Father, and that's sin. And this uh, son goes off and blows his money in, uh, in, in, in debauchery. But then he comes to his senses when he realizes how bankrupt that was to just find his joy in his money. And this is what we see in Matthew 15, verses uh, 20 to 24. And he, this son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Friends, if you're straying right now, God is not waiting with a big stick to hit you. He is waiting with open arms, looking over the hill, waiting and watching and waiting for you to come to him. He is longing for you to come to him. That's one picture the Bible gives us of this unending love. Another one I see uh, is that God actually not only looks to the hills, but he goes and gets us. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 8 through 10, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I love that picture there. It says she, she lights a lamp and then sweeps the house to find this, this one coin that's got away. She has ten coins, one, one strays, gets lost, and she lights a lamp. I love that because it kind of gives me this picture of she's been looking, but now daylight has passed. She still hasn't found it. Rather than giving up, she lights a lamp to continue the search. She's not going to rest. She's not going to stop until she finds this coin. And then once again, we see not rebuke, but... She calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. This is rejoicing. This is rejoicing. And this is the love God has for you. We could talk about discipline, I won't now, but discipline is, is painful things in our lives that God uses to keep us close to him and to actually push us deeper in our faith, we see that in Hebrews 12. I, again, I won't read it, but Hebrews 12 um, just talks about he's loving you as sons. He's treating you as sons when you feel this discipline that you might have greater righteousness. And this is how God keeps us. And of course, there's always uh, Romans 8. And I'll close uh, after reading this little passage. Romans 8. Beginning in, oops, a little further. Beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to the, these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And kind of the implicit question is, are those things showing God's lack of love for us, removing that love? And it says here, no, 
in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unending love. Again, let this blow your mind. God willingly loves as a father. And then the father actively loves. The the greatest act of love in history or that ever will be. And then affectionate love. The very love with which he loved his eternal son and has always loved him. He has now brought you into that and loves you with full affection. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He now says that about you and God loves unendingly he will keep you in his love now i was thinking first john uh, 4 19 says we love because he first loved us we love because he first loved us god us seeing god's love is what created love in us love for god that says i want him i need him i trust him we love because he first loved us But I'll tell you, it doesn't stop there at salvation. As you grow in the knowledge of God's love, so will your love for God grow and your love for others grow. Listen to this, Ephesians 3, uh, verses 17 through 19. Paul says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So rather than guilt you and say, how come you're not loving like God? I'm saying, just look to God. Look to his love. Look, see his love for, for you. And that, that love in you can grow, and you can begin to love as the Father loves. Let's pray together. Father God, I just confess to you that I have, in many ways um, throughout my life, diminished your glory by thinking little of your love for me. I have projected human imperfection on you, the perfect Father. But God, we praise you that you've given us your word to see that you really are the perfect father, the standard, the measure of what a loving father is. So God, we thank you for choosing us. We thank you for adopting us. We thank you for actively loving us through your son, Christ Jesus, this this great cost to give us the greatest gift of yourself. God, we thank you that you love us affectionately and unendingly. God, would you help us to see, believe, and be changed by these truths? God, I want to pray now for anyone in this room who cannot call you Father. Lord, that they would see this amazing love that you have for your children and want it. And Lord, may they know that those who call upon any 
who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They can be brought into this family by trusting in what Jesus has done. God, let them not disregard this amazing price you've paid to be able to give them this amazing love. God, let them trust in you. Help them to trust in you, to put down their guard even now and trust in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Lord, I thank you that you are the perfect father and that you will even show your fatherly love to my children so that where I fall short, you will fill in that void, God. God, I pray that all of our children will know you as their father. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together and close this service with the song that you'll see on the screen. And just let me follow Pastor Jeff by saying if you need help knowing how to know the Lord God as your Heavenly Father, we would be delighted to help you. Praise God. Thank you so much for singing with us today. What a, what a great thing. Um, I love all of you, and I do hope you have a wonderful Father's Day. Again, as Pastor Dave said, either of us would love